This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. The goal of this podcast since day one is to provide the best information on the Vancouver real estate market at no cost to you, the listeners. To that end, we'd like to thank the following sponsors. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one beds to three beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I am so fired up for today because we have Professor Tom Davidoff. That's right. Professor Tom Davidoff, Associate Professor and Director of the UBC Center of Urban Economics and Real Estate at Sauter School of Business out at UBC. Everybody knows Tom. He's been on the show about 10 times. Yes. Uh, he's got a 10-timer jacket. He might have the 10-timer jacket. So great to have him back on the show. We haven't had him on since COVID really hit, though. Right. So like last time he was on, it, you know. Different might, world. Could have been 2016, but uh, it was February 2020. But yeah, totally different environment. So stay tuned for Tom. Today we're talking, well, we're talking BC election. We're talking US, US election. But really, we're, we're basically saying to Tom, what the hell's going on in Vancouver real estate? What does the future hold? What's going to happen with downtown? Um, you know, and he's got a lot of thoughts on all these things, buying habits. You know, we, we, put, we put all the tough questions to Tom. K-shaped recoveries, yeah, everything. Future predictions, which Tom's always good at. Um, this is, this is going to be one that if you are interested in the market in Vancouver, you need to listen to this episode. So definitely stay tuned. But before we get to that, Matt, it is almost Halloween. You are dressed as a sexy nurse. Once again, it's your recurring <laughs> outfit. You always record the last podcast before Halloween in this way. Yeah, you know what? And I, I'm feeling very confident. Uh, <laughs> it's the shoes. But you know what? Uh, a few things uh, about Halloween here. Like Halloween's Saturday night. Yes. You're going to the park, it sounds like. I might be, yeah. 
I might be a well, social, a socially distanced uh, neighborhood party. Is this what I? I you know what? On? I don't know. There's there's talks about how people are going to tackle Halloween this year. I'm a little upset that there's no candy at the office. This is this is the one. So there's two things I've noticed about Halloween that are kind of upsetting. Well, the first isn't upsetting, but yeah. what is the costume of this year? Right? Like right. what? It, I feel like Bonnie Henry would be like a the, great costume. A great costume if the if we weren't skyrocketing with cases and no one was able to have more than six people in their house. Sure. Not that that's her fault, but she'd probably be the the costume of choice. But really, it's more about. Uh, I don't think we're handing out candy at my house. No. Therefore, we have no candy right now. Usually, at this time, I'm like ten to fifteen to maybe twenty twenty five mini chocolate bars a day. Right. Uh, right now, I'm kind of almost aggravated that that's not the case. Um, yeah. Because you're in you're in uh, you're you're in bulking season. Yeah, I'm bulking up. Like exactly. Historically, yeah. <laughs> historically, you're in bulking season. Yeah, right about now. about the second week of October is when it yeah. starts. You and, don't want to uh, pay for the chocolate, but you will eat it if it's around. Yeah, I feel really. Yeah, that's that's. Yeah, I would never go buy the chocolate myself. That, right, that feels too uh, aggressively related to bulking up on purpose. Yeah, but, yeah. but, and I, I also I was thinking. Like I literally had this thought as I drove in on Monday to the office uh, downtown was last year and years previous. Right. There's always like a bowl of Twix and Snickers and Mars bars. Beside uh, your bed. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but in the office, I was yeah. like, man, this is going to be the best. Right. All week long, like just secret um, uh, mashing these into my face. And uh, – <laughs> And I guess it's COVID. I don't know. There's no chocolates. At well, the this is going to be a different Halloween. And also, it I think already it's, is. it's all dropping weight. Yeah. But I, I, I was thinking about it the other day, like the idea of handing, like the whole concept of Halloween. It's a COVID. It seems yeah. very strange in, in light of COVID, right? I right. mean, who's going to be bobbing for apples this year? <laughs> Like, could you, could you imagine the act of bobbing? Didn't even think of that. For apples. Yeah. Uh, like sharing face water yeah. <laughs> with other people. Well, well, you grip apples in your and mouth. And then drop them accidentally yeah. and then <laughs> they go back into the water. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. Yeah. It's, it's the whole concept of like. to scratch that one from the party. <laughs> yeah. Handing out candy and, uh, you know, there's always. Yeah, I mean, mobs at the front door. Yeah. Screaming. It's actually, all yeah, bad. The whole thing is. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What's, you know what? Actually, and now I'm thinking about caroling in a couple of months is going to be difficult as well. Right, singing into each other's faces <laughs> as our family does around Christmas. Uh, this is, this is uh, it's all, I think just holidays are pretty much shut down for the foreseeable future. Um, that's my prediction, but yeah. let's, let's, we should get to almost uh, get to Tom's prediction. Absolutely, here. but before we get to Tom's predictions and Tom's thoughts on all things Vancouver real estate, we do have a couple things to take care of. Right. One is our sponsor, Oakland Realty. Yes. This is a place without chocolate, but it's still the best brokerage in the city. That is for sure. It's still sweet as pie, this place. Ooh, I like how you put that one down. (laughs) Oakland.com slash join if you're a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody who's in the real estate business but looking to make a change. Oakland is growing like crazy. There's a reason for that. Uh, Oakland.com slash join. Type in VRP2020. You get a huge surprise. Yes. Tell them the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast sent you. That's Oakland.com slash join. VRP2020. You will not be disappointed. Yes. And last but not least, we're heading into November. It's starting to feel a little spooky out there, but that's no reason why you shouldn't sign up to the Sellers Club. Matt, the Sellers Club is where you get top top actionable resources for selling your property for top dollar 
in the shortest amount of time. And really what it is, is it's a drip. It's an ongoing drip of the best content that we're putting out for sellers. So if you are interested in learning about how to get your property ready for market, also how to add value to your property, that's really what it is. Yeah. Then you want to be on, on this list. And all you have to do is just send us an email that says sellers club. And it is absolutely the safest and hottest club in town. That's right. And that is an email sent to info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com or just sign up to the live wire. Right. There's a link to the Sellers Club on that over at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Of course, there is no reason you shouldn't be in this club if you want to sell quickly and for top dollar. That is for certain. Um, last but not least, uh, my that I did earlier. I want to apologize what's, uh, uh, to everyone. What's, 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 <laughs> <laughs> well, let's oh. cut to our talk with Tom Davidoff. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay, so we're here with Tom Davidoff, Associate Professor and Director of the UBC Center for Urban Economics and real estate at Sauter School of Business. How you doing, Tom? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much again for taking the time. Uh, obviously, fan favorite, past guest. We basically, I, I was looking back at our schedule with you, Tom, and it's kind of a biannual check-in at this point. Um, you're so generous with your time, so thanks, <laughs> thanks very much. It's like the dentist. can you maybe remind uh our listeners um and and some of the new folks that are listening uh well can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself yeah sure i uh am a economist i study mostly housing uh, also the economics of aging and uh, insurance markets i teach uh economics and uh real estate at uh, the Sauter School of Business at the University of British Columbia. Uh, I've been a bit of a gadfly, I guess, on uh, local political issues. Uh, The speculation tax, uh, I like to think, was basically my idea. You know, I've always thought we should shift from uh, income and sales taxes in British Columbia in particular uh, to property taxes. And, uh, you know, I've been uh, trying to push people to uh, upzone has been the other thing. We've got a lot of single family zoning, and I think that's uh, depressed our ability to respond to uh, the housing crisis. So, you know, I think those two things are probably what uh, I'm to the extent I'm known known for. Tom, we we're just talking before we went live, and uh, obviously we're in a, a very interesting market here in Vancouver. Do you ever get bored with Vancouver real estate or – or potentially put another way, has it ever behaved the way that in the way that you expect? Well, I certainly never get bored. I think thinking about Vancouver real estate is when I get what I do when I get bored with uh, preparing lecture <laughs> slides or writing other papers about other topics. No, I mean, what an endlessly fascinating market it is. Uh, and you know, Richard Whitstock, a local developer, once uh, tweeted, "You know, uh, Vancouver always surprises to the upside." And uh, we were talking, or, or you know, b- before the show about my last appearance, and you know, I uh, incorrectly didn't understand how bad COVID was, and then you know, I kind of thought if COVID got really bad, that would be bad for the housing market, and you know, uh, wrong again. I you know, but that's been that's been international. I think, you know, there's two effects of COVID: it weakens the economy, which is of course bad for housing markets, 
It's not great for downtown real estate, but people want more space. And when people want more space, that's good for housing prices. And, you know, so far, if anything, there's, I think, you know, I, I think we're probably lower than where we would be because I think we were in the midst of a very hot, hot market. But uh, we'll see. I mean, this, this downturn has uh, looks like it's going to have another leg in it before vaccines come to the rescue. So it sounds like this this drive for more spaces is one of the 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 things you see as a driving force in this market. Can we talk a, a little bit more in depth about about what's going on right now? Uh, how Vancouver relates to kind of larger real estate trends in in this COVID world and the forces in your mind driving the market? Well, sure. I like to think about two of my friends from uh, high school and undergraduate who we stay in touch with, you know, sports and uh, how's life going uh, sort of email group. And, you know, one of them is doing very, very well and bought a luxury apartment in New York City. The other, you know, he's doing fine and had a suburban house and he moved uh, to Florida. And the guy with the suburban house could not sell his house for a long time in, in the suburbs of New York. It just, you know, wasn't moving. Trump changed the tax code to make uh, suburban good school districts a lot less tax favored. So that was bad for him. And, you know, of course, New York's great. So then COVID comes along and the guy with the fancy uh, Manhattan apartment is living far away in a house so his family can have space. And he's not even bothering to rent the place out because there's just not a great market for rental and not worth the trouble. And the guy with the suburban house was able to sell it very easily. So, you know, I think we're seeing that a lot. People don't need to be downtown as much. So usually the trade-off is you get a smaller place in an apartment where you're sharing elevators and stuff downtown. That's less favored in the market. And uh, detached single-family home, a place for your kids to uh, play. You know, maybe you can have a relative over because there's enough space, what have you. Uh you know, I think the demand for single family has been outstripping uh, demand for apartment, which is totally the opposite of what we've had here in the market. Ever since the foreign buyer tax, we've had condo way outperform single family. And as you may recall, I've long felt there was a correction due in that way. I thought condos had gotten overpriced relative to single family. Uh, COVID now is pushing in that same direction of a correction that I think should have happened anyway. So unfortunately, you know, we'll never know if I was actually right uh, that that was a direction the market should go because it got pushed there by COVID, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And I, I think like we're watching right now as single family goes on uh, what seems to be in the beginning or, or early stages of an incredible run, uh, multiple offers on on almost every house that's kind of depending on the price bend in in each submarket but very very a, a, tons of activity in the single family detached market do you think that these habits of people i mean clearly people don't have to commute to work anymore um people right now seem to be going after more space uh you know a patch of a patch of grass do you think these these trends are here to stay or is this going to be kind of more in the short term in your opinion well, that's a great question. And, you know, that sort of big picture type, is the world going to change question? You know, you have to go to like a futurist or like an H.G. Wells or something, you know, even really <laughs> great economists. And, you know, I, I hope I'm an OK economist. You know, that's a hard question to answer. It's just so big picture, right? You know, just the Internet, right? Uh, you know, there's a paper by uh, Ed Glazer and a co-author, maybe Jed Kolko. I forget which co-author it was. 
Ed Glazer has a lot of papers. Uh, you know, a long time ago, Ed Glazer, the great urban economist, asked, hey, you know, is the Internet uh, going to and yeah, maybe he was thinking about faxes back then. But, you know, is technology going to kill cities because you don't need to be in person, you know, before Zoom, the idea of Zoom like stuff, maybe you don't need to do in person. And so you're going to have back offices wherever you want them and, and cities are dead. And but but he said, you know, the other way it could go is when it's easier to communicate with people, you know, you form bigger networks. And, you know, if you want to do networking, you do it in cities. And and the latter effect worked. And, you know, downtown real estate has been, you know, doing fantastically well for 20, 30 years after being kind of depressed in the 70s and 80s with all the suburbanization and the U.S. white flight, what have you. So, you know, so far, it's been kind of surprising that cities have flourished so much. Uh, you know, now with COVID, you know, obviously there's been a kick technologically to figure out how to meet not in person and get work done. And, you know, when COVID's done, you know, I think about it, I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I used to schlep out on my bike in the rain every day up the hill to UBC <laughs> instead of just, you know, uh, sliding the five feet over from dead to desk, uh, as it is. And, you know, are people going to gear up? And, and really do all that commuting. I mean, think about it. I mean, it's kind of crazy if you think about it. People schlepping, sitting an hour and a half in traffic. It's nuts. It's a huge waste of time and resources and, and environmental damage. You know, people flying to meetings, I've long thought was, you know, way overdone, especially given the environmental cost. I'm really interested to see how, how much uh, in-person meetings uh, come back. You know, my instinct is it probably won't be a big difference from what it was a couple of years ago. I think we'll go back to people wanting to be in cities and meeting in face after everybody forgets COVID after six months once it's done. Uh, but who knows? And, and let me just do one more thought on that. Sorry, yak and yak. But it's really important, right? I mean, you know, when you buy a house, put it, it, it's a big financial, it's the present value of rents. It's from today for forever. And, you know, if people are making a decision to rent a house this year instead of an apartment, well, that's a home run. But, you know, now that houses are way outperforming apartment, if, if that's correct, y you know, this year's rent should be, you know, incorporated into prices. But if we revert back to normal, then maybe the, the pendulum has swung too far because, you know, eventually you're going to have to start getting back to work, possibly. Yeah, one thing I've been just thinking a lot about downtown uh recently and and watching just how uh how depressed rents are um how the vacancy rate specifically in downtown and surrounding areas is has risen um how like one beds and studios is i would say is is one of the the worst markets here and i guess um you how know, bad is it by the way how, well i actually haven't kept an eye on this how, how far are we down in downtown you know studio one bedroom type thing well you know what i Maybe one interesting kind of thing going on in in downtown and kind of right in this Emory Barnes Park, like stuff selling for for pretty close to a thousand a foot now, and that's yeah. you know stuff from say in the last ten fifteen years. Um, but interestingly enough, like the the you know we're talking about gaps between condos and single family, but stuff pre sales that are are launching in November in Surrey are. are launching at 850 a foot. So it seems like downtown is of any market undervalued here in terms of in terms of the gaps, but it's yeah, stuff's sitting for sure. Like if you look at a there's a certain tower that will be uh left unnamed here, but it, it's right by Emory Barnes Park. There's like eight, ten one beds in there, I think right now. Yeah, I think ah. there's I think there's a couple things going on with downtown though because you know like 
part of the reason that Yaletown, I think, is having challenges right now is the the Howard Johnson Hotel. Yeah. Um, and what's, what's well, and going then on. just the 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 safe injection site that was just approved too. Exactly. I, like I met people on the weekend uh, outside of downtown in an open house that were like, "Yeah, we're we're moving." There's no yeah. question. And I, and the flip side of that is, um, I think the same opportunities are are existing in areas like Crosstown and Chinatown and Gastown right now. Um, just because it's uh, downtown is kind of looking a little bit different these days. Uh, it's one way to put it, maybe. Well, you know, that's a whole other issue. You know, I grew up in New York City in the 80s, and you didn't want to be in the city. You wanted to be in the suburbs. And part of that was the crime uh, and neglect and, and, you know, human problems. And, you know, let me be very clear. In my opinion, the big problem with homelessness is you have people who are suffering who have to be out on the street. And I mean, you know, these are people just like you and me. And they don't get to have a warm bed and they don't get to have a nice shower and going to the bathroom is a gross experience. You right. know, it's it's really sad. And that's why we should fix homelessness. We shouldn't fix homelessness because it bugs, you know, people who have comfortable homes. Of course. But but, you know, fa- you know, if you just want to be at the level of dollars and cents, you can really screw up a city uh, if you let the social situation get out of hand. You know, people will flee the city if it's not a nice, pleasant place. And, you know, homelessness, right? I mean, if you have not enough homes for too many people, you know, you sort of go, if you think homelessness, some people are going to be homeless, even if they've got enough money and and a decent opportunity for a house. But the number of people who are going to be homeless is just going to get worse, uh, the worse the housing market situation. And, you know, with the deteriorating housing situation, I think with population growth and you know, just too many people wanting to live in the good cities, uh, you know, it's very possible that that trend of neighborhood uh, decline related to homelessness could absolutely be a factor going forward. Yeah, it's interesting because when you think about all the factors that are happening downtown, it's kind of like the the perfect storm um, to create an opportunity. You've got really low sales ratios, largely because people are looking for more space and and they want to... Well, and also though, uh, restaurant workers, hospitality workers are out of work and and leaving. Those are renters, of course, uh, in a lot of the cases. Stores are, stores are, many stores are boarded up uh, or or for lease right now. I mean, downtown has definitely, in a lot of ways, it's lost its shine. I mean, and inventory's up, right? There's a lot of inventory right now. And and in thinking about depressed rents, uh, you know, Airbnbs and everything else, you, you would imagine that we're going to be continuing to see a lot more inventory uh, over mm-hmm. the coming for months. At le- for at least the next six to 12 months, right? But I guess maybe, and Tom, we ask you predictions every time, but, yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting to think like governments can screw up cities uh, is an interesting, interesting idea. And I'd be interested on your take kind of at the municipal level, uh, how you think the the elected officials are faring, but, but also just thinking about downtown, like, would you see, you know, 10 one beds in a, in a single uh, larger complex, but 10 one beds yeah. right now um, as an opportunity in kind of the, the midterm, like the one to three years, do you think downtown's yeah. ba- bouncing back? Good question. Again, you know, these big picture things like is Zoom going to kill downtown or whatever? I mean, I don't think that's an issue for Vancouver, which will be tourism based and tourism will come back, you know, once COVID's over. So, you know, my best guess would be people are pretty present biased, right? So that, you know, like, oh, you know, COVID's bad, so I don't want to buy an apartment. Well, you know, buy is, you know, 100 years worth of rent. 
not uh not not uh not just this year's rent so you know my instinct is it would be that, that, that we're seeing an overreaction and too much surge in suburbs and people are forgetting what it's going to be like to drive over the bridge at rush hour and uh you know too much decline in the city because people are forgetting that you know things are going to get zippy again so that that's my best guess uh but again you know you have these issues like a fiscal mess and uh rising homelessness problem and uh you know who knows what kind of political instability. So, uh, you know, there's certainly a world in which uh, the downward trend of downtown continues even past COVID, but my best guess is there'd be a correction back. Tom, I don't think we've ever talked about this before. We talked a little bit about the council, I think, last time you were on, but now we're kind of, we've, we've, we've had the same council and mayor in place for quite some time. Do you like Kennedy Stewart and and, and uh, what are <laughs> your thoughts on the council? Not personally. <laughs> As a mayor. He's maybe. a very nice guy. <laughs> you know, well, I think he, uh, it, you know, on the issue that I think about with the city the most, like, hey, should we turn this, you know, place in a, you know, this parking lot into a five-story apartment building, even though the neighbors hate it, or a 83-story apartment building or whatever, depending on the location, he's always a yes. And, you know, my general instinct is to say NIMBY's bad, YIMBY's good. You know, you want to have some nuance. I think quality of life does matter. And, you know, there, there, there's a place for regulation. Uh, but Kennedy Stewart has clearly been an advocate for more density. He wants the subway built to UBC. It's a tough, tough road because not everybody does and not everybody wants to fund it at the federal uh, and provincial you know level. Uh, but. Yeah, I mean, I think on the big big picture issues, he's been good. You know, homelessness obviously is a real challenge, and it, and it is not easy to, to solve. Uh, he he has not solved it single handedly, but I I don't think he could have. So, you know, overall, I've been pretty happy with, with Mayor Stewart. You know, at the level of governance, I think there's a general problem that the council, you know, it's so multi party uh, that it feels like stuff gets held up. And there's not a cohesive vision for the city. I mean, I, I don't think I'll give Kennedy Stewart for, you know, getting control of council and moving them all in one one direction and all the votes make sense given the last vote everybody took. But that would have been a heck of a hard job wrangling because you've got the NPA, which is now, I guess, three blocks. You've got Rebecca Bly, who actually broke off because of the social issues. You've got Colleen Hardwick, who is a consistent no <laughs> on anything related to density. And you've got Dominato and um, Sarah Kirby Young, who uh, I think, you know, have probably voted, you know, not all the time, but very largely with Stewart on, on pro-density. You've got the Greens, who have their own personality split, you know, depending on on, on the politics of a rezoning. Uh, and you've got Swanson, who's, you know, uh, thinks that, uh, you know, it, I mean, Swanson's not bad, but her single vision is take the poorest people, the people in the hardest circumstances, what's best for them, which is a great position to take. But then, you know, you look at market rental and she says, well, you know, I don't think that's so great because there there won't be any units for people who are poor. So I'm going to oppose it, you know, so, you know, which I think net actually hurts the people with the lowest incomes. But but that's a vision. So you've got a very, very divided council, you know, which isn't the end of the world. I think it's great that multiple perspectives are there. But cat herding uh, for a mayor would be a phenomenally difficult job given the composition. Fair enough. You know, just not thinking, maybe moving along from the, the council here. Um, in terms of where we're at, I was just looking at the 
New York Times app before we went live, and and they had uh, graphs of uh, you know the UK, Canada, the US, Brazil, and and kind of the spikes in in the the cases, um, which are of course shooting up. Um, at this moment, obviously, that's a risk to the market. Um, what what are the biggest risks to the market currently? But also thinking about kind of this what what appears to be a K shaped recovery, right? We've we talked about all sorts of you know the L, the V, the U, um, but it does this K shape does seem to be the the most prevalent. I, I, is that is that your take on on what's happening and and how does that kind of play out in your mind? So you're talking about the top of the market doing just fine, you know, knowledge workers, whatever you want to call it. Obviously, so far, realtors doing great, whereas service workers getting totally screwed. Uh, exactly. The people in the worst position. Exactly. You know, and, and, and that's been the trend the world's been going in, unfortunately, right? I mean, especially in the U.S., but I think here in Canada as well, the top of the income distribution's been doing great. And, you know, uh, because of automation and, uh, you know, increased the mobility of people across the world, people without, you know, I don't know, a comp- competitive comparative advantage in the job market uh, are really uh, hard up against it. And, you know, you look at kids coming out of college, if you're in the STEM majors, you know, you have great job prospects. If you're doing humanities, you know, you might wind up as a barista, you know, and which is a great thing to do, but but tough in terms of, you know, making enough money to, to live comfortably in a place like Vancouver. And then you come in with COVID, which shuts down tourism and, you know, people aren't going to coffee shops or restaurants, uh, but lawyers, you know, can still work. Realtors, uh, uh, remarkably, are doing just fine. Uh, university professor, I'm lucky enough that, uh, you know, uh, and, and, you know, of course, the, the job doesn't go away immediately, but, but, but education sector is doing okay because, you know, it's not as good to go to university and online is in person. But on the other hand, what else are you going to do with the year? So I think enrollments are going to be okay. So, you know, some of us are really lucky and some of us, I mean, imagine, you know, facing a loss of income, not knowing how to pay uh, rent uh, or, or your mortgage uh, when uh, when you're in the midst of a pandemic. It's, it, it's unfortunate. And I think it, you know, probably continues a trend that it's hard to see how it doesn't continue. And and so right, so rising basically increased inequality is is the outcome here, um, which is definitely uh, obviously not great at a personal level for for many people, not great for political stability. Um, does that, in terms of the real estate market, not to be too kind of crass about it, but <laughs> but but how do you see? Does that is, is there kind of a. a a major change with with that kind of increased inequality that comes out of COVID? Well, it's funny. You know, what I'd say is that should be uh, good for the rental market or bad. I guess bad for the rental market, good. I guess it's ambiguous, right? Because, you know, a lot of marginal buyers probably get pushed into the rental bin, but renters have less income. You know, if I think about it, you know, one thing I noticed is Oak Ridge, you know, trying to get out of doing condos and trying to get some more density for rental, which was a trend that was happening before COVID anyway. Um, Boy, that's a complicated one, right? You know, uh, generally, right, income inequality. I was actually just looking at a a professor's uh, book draft. And, you know, I would think income inequality would generally be bad for housing markets uh, because, you know, one thing about income, right? Like Bill Gates and, and, uh, Warren Buffett, you know, if they'd make a decision to do something in the stock market, that could actually influence the stock market, right? 
But what Bill Gates and Warren Buffett do with their housing choices has no impact on housing. And the issue is, as you get richer and richer, the fraction of your wealth that's allocated to housing shrinks. You know, poor people spend a much bigger fraction of their income on housing than rich people. So if you think about rental value and, you know, rental flow, there's no question that if you take money from the bottom and give it to the top, that's going to be bad for aggregate housing consumption. Now, it's a little bit more complicated if you think about ownership versus renting, because you could have rents fall and prices rise because low-income people generally aren't owners, right? In the long run, you sort of think there's got to be a link between rental present value and prices, but you could definitely get a little bit of a spread when when owners or people who might buy places are doing fine and uh, people who might rent do badly. I think that's sort of what we're seeing with rents falling, but prices rising. So, And then you think about a city like Vancouver, which in the long run, I think is going to be a playground for the global elite. So I think global inequality is probably a good thing uh, if you if you want prices to go up in Vancouver, because, you know, as rich people have more money, I think there's more demand for property in Vancouver. So, Tom, we just had a provincial election. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on on the outcome of that. And then also um, your thoughts on how the U.S. election potentially factors into uh, the Vancouver real estate market. And, and just building on that, Tom, not to put too many questions on your plate here, uh, curious to hear your thoughts on the on on the role or the non-role the the BC speculation and vacancy tax played in, in the election. But uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sure. So first of all, the loss of the uh, BC liberals, I think the word is overdetermined. I think there's a lot of causes to which you can attribute the, you know, I mean, they did terribly, uh, the BC liberals and, and the NDP really cleaned up. You know, the Greens had a bit of a resurgence, uh, you know, which I don't think is, is surprising. But, you know, the liberals, you know, did terribly. I think probably that is because people feel like the pandemic has been relatively well handled. I think that's probably the biggest issue here in BC until recently, you know, we've way outperformed other provinces. And, you know, so I think people recognize that and things were looked pretty well governed. So I think you give the incumbent party to win. I think that's probably the dominant reason uh, the, um, the NDP did well. Um, You know, I think the BC liberals, the second tier reason they didn't do well is, you know, you run the risk with the BC liberals of looking like the gin and tonic set on your yachts, you know, (laughs) and I don't think they did anything in this campaign to disabuse people of that stereotype, uh, which was unfortunate. You know, you had that Thornthwaite video and everybody giggling about the young uh, a non-white woman, you know, and Bowen Ma, by the way, is a brilliant person and to demean her is a terrible, terrible thing to do. I mean, she's actually really, you know, we're lucky to have somebody of that human capital caliber um, in the legislature. Anyway, so I think those are the reasons. I don't think housing had almost anything to do. I just, you know, you just didn't hear it, certainly on, you know, like Stephen Quinn, you weren't hearing people talk about the housing issues. The housing was pretty interesting in a couple of ways. You know, the NDP, I think, you know, they've been pushing for more social housing. They put in the speculation tax the additional school tax. So they've sort of pushed down on demand. And I think their big intervention on the supply side, you know, they've done some stuff for market housing, but they've really pushed for rental housing and and, and for nonprofit and and social housing. But they didn't talk about it in the campaign. That, That wasn't an emphasis. The liberals put out some interesting stuff, but it just didn't get any attention. Now, one thing that I thought was interesting was the BC liberals went for swap out the speculation tax in exchange for a new tax on pre-sale flipping. 
And that I thought was a really terrible idea. I mean, I love the speculation tax because, you know, we have a problem of too many people chasing not enough real estate. And this is what you're not going to live in the real estate or rent it to somebody. You're going to pay higher property tax. I think everybody should pay higher property tax. But there's no reason for somebody who isn't a landlord and uses the place as a vacation home or whatever to pay really low property taxes. There's just no rationale for it. So I thought that was a terrible idea. But even worse, right? You know, taxing flips on uh, pre-sales is fine as an idea, but it's not going to improve affordability. I mean, essentially, what Wilkinson was proposing is if you own a property and hold it empty, we're going to lower your tax. And if you buy a property and sell it and never hold it empty because you sell it before the building's complete, then we're going to tax you more. So, like, you're going to stop taxing people who hold empty units and start taxing people who don't hold empty units. How that helps affordability is, like, completely beyond me. So I thought that was bad. But I do want to give the liberals credit. You know, they put out a platform where they were very clear. They said municipalities are not providing enough affordable housing. And, and, and there's a principal agent or incentive problem. Everybody in the province knows we need more affordable housing. But it's each individual municipality like West Vancouver or Port Coquitlam or whatever that's in charge of their own uh, zoning. And, you know, they can say, well, sure, we should have affordable housing, but we shouldn't have it in our community because it's a nuisance in our community. We want low density and nice views and, and, and easy parking. So kick the can down to the next community. And uh, the liberals actually, you know, very explicitly in their platform recognized that was a problem. I thought that was good. You know, the, the, the really bold step is something some American states have done is to say, come on, you can't have single family zoning when the right use for the land is, is large apartment buildings. You know, you can have a compromise with four story apartments when the market wants to do 20 story apartments. But single family zoning, detached yards, you know, really different from what the market wants, unaffordable to 90 percent of the population. That's that's a no, no. So uh, they should have gone farther, but at least they took a step that, that recognized the economic issue. And so I thought that was great. And it got zero oxygen <laughs> in, in the election discussion. So I don't think that's why they lost. One thing I did think was particularly interesting is, you know, when the additional school tax on three million dollar homes uh, and, and, and above got implemented, Andrew Wilkinson was, you know, pretty gung-ho against it. And his riding is like the world's capital of homes above $3 million. You know, other than West Van, I can't imagine there's a place with a greater density of homes uh, over $3 million. But uh, they they didn't go there. They were acting explicitly, I heard in an interview, and they did not make that an election interview, I- issue. Now, that's not surprising insofar as, you know, 99% or whatever people don't own $3 million homes. But uh, uh, it was interesting that, that that was a tax issue that, that they didn't touch. So I think that additional school tax, that makes me think is probably here to stay. Yeah, yeah. I'd imagine it seems like um, there was some uh, perception issues there. <laughs> that would have been uh, – that wouldn't have been a good look um, sure. for, for the Liberal Party uh, this this last time around. That's for sure. What what And, you know, following you on Twitter, Tom um, – you know, we know you're you're very much kind of, um, I guess, uh, active in in the U.S. Uh, election that's yeah. coming up next week, and and um, obviously you're from the United States, and uh, and this is a very important election. Curious to hear your thoughts on on the outcome, and and maybe secondarily how that impacts Canada and and uh, Vancouver. First of all, let me say I'm biased. You know, I hope in my last answer I gave a little pro and con on the BC liberals. 
U.S. is different. And, and you know, I'll, I'll just state a bias here before I say anything. You know, I hate the Republican Party. I always have. I imagine I always will. And, I you know, I think Trump is pure evil and borderline fascist. And so if you look at my Twitter account, I've gone from economics and, and local stuff in, 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 in Vancouver to, you know, dump on Trump as much as I can. And that's been a conscious choice. I, you know, I have some human capital. I have some number of followers on Twitter. And I want to spend that capital because, you know, getting rid of, of Trump, he, he's leading the U.S., I think, in a direction that it's worth getting, you know, shot and killed at, uh, you know, to avoid. You know, it's like you'd fight a war to not have America go in the direction of another uh, Trump Trump presidency, you know, rule of law, you know, kids in cages, you know, the long history of American democracy really under threat. And that, that's a personal view. That has nothing to do with me as an economist. You know, I may or may not. Well, I mostly disagree with a lot of what he's done economically. You know, it's not all bad, but that has nothing to do with economics. I think he's a bad guy who's going to lead America down a really bad path. Now, uh, that said, let's go to predictions for the election and then what the impact might be on the U.S. You know, if if you look at the polls, uh, 538, Nate Silver, really smart guy. You know, he has uh, Biden at about 88 percent based on what the polls say you know, sort of recognizing there can be surprises. So I think, you know, my instinct is to basically trust that. If you look at betting markets, it's a little higher odds for Trump, something like two to, uh, two to one instead of 80% or 90% for Biden. But, you know, the Supreme Court thing is pretty interesting. You know, uh, you, you've seen a couple of recent decisions where uh, Brett Kavanaugh, uh, who's probably about the pivotal justice now, he's very far right, but with Amy Coney Barrett coming in, or whatever her name is, you know, you've got yeah. uh, a really right wing court, and even a much less right wing court in 2000, you know, basically for partisan reasons, made them stop the recount in Florida and handed the election to George W. Bush in that way. I, I think they'll they'll take a lot of steps. So you know, Pennsylvania, and I think the other upper Midwest states, Michigan, Pennsylvania is an upper Midwest, Michigan. Uh, Wisconsin, I think they probably both do the same thing, which is in-person votes get counted first, then they do the uh, mail-in ballots. Other states like Florida and Arizona do it in a different order. And that sounds like super arcane, but we know uh, Biden's going to do better with the mail-in ballots than the um, in-person votes. So what you predict, what Trump's been forecasting he was going to do for a long time is to say, okay, you know, I'm ahead. It's midnight on uh, whatever election day is next Tuesday. And so that's it. The vote should stop right now. And I'm going to go take it to the Supreme Court. You know, it's cheating to count votes after election day. And I want to cease and desist order on all the counties still counting absentee ballots. And my guess is the Republicans on the Supreme Court you know, that's a facially ridiculous uh, argument. So they wouldn't go probably just for that. But if you paint it up, if you sort of pretty it up, put lipstick on that legal pig enough, if they ha- if they can, you know, look at all reasonable in going that way, I don't think Roberts would go there, maybe. But the other five uh, Republicans, Gors- let's see if I can name them, Gorsuch, uh, Alito, uh, Amy Coney Barrett, Kavanaugh and Thomas, I think they, they you know, they don't need a lot of and they don't need a lot of lipstick to go that way. So, you know, you got to take a couple percent off of Biden in those swing states. He's up five. You know, I don't think they can get rid of five, but they can get rid of two or three in those uh, upper Midwest 
and Pennsylvania states with early voting and, you know, all other kinds of shenanigans with not letting people vote, making African-Americans wait in 11-hour lines because there's only one polling place in a city like Philadelphia or something like that. So, you know, th- that that's a headwind. And then the question is, can Biden win a state like Florida, Texas, or Georgia? You know, if he wins for one of Florida and Texas, game over, because he's going to have enough wiggle room and it would just look ridiculous to shut him down. And in a world where he gets Texas, he wins the other one. So, you know, if he wins Texas or Florida, game over. If not, it's going to be an ugly couple of weeks. In terms of markets, I see the stock market's down 3% today. I think, you know, probably most of that is um, COVID, you know, is clearly getting another kick. In the, in the most of the world, it's happening here, it's happening everywhere. So I think we're getting a downward surprise in terms of economic growth. It's mostly that, but I don't think people are going to like this election uncertainty. I think people are going to be really happy when it's settled one way or the other. You know, Trump's very low taxes, low regulation. So in that way, he's good for uh, the stock market. Uh, on the other hand, he's, you know, pretty good for instability. And so, you know, another Trump win, you know, international trades in jeopardy. There'll just be all kinds of drama. Could be bad for global growth. What would a Trump win do for Vancouver real estate? You know, there has, I think a lot of us thought maybe there'd be a bit of an exodus, like especially from Silicon Valley, immigrants, et cetera, coming up here in response to Trump. That hasn't happened, I don't think, in great amounts under Trump one. Maybe Trump, too. He has no limitations. You know, he's going to go very far right. He'll have a mandate to do whatever he wants. He can stop all immigration. Who knows? So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see some upward pressure in Vancouver as an alternative uh, to the U.S. Biden, you know, I don't think we'll have a a brain drain where people are fleeing, you you know, rushing back to the U.S. But I think, you know, you wouldn't have that kind of instability and uncertainty that you would in a Trump, too. I'm just curious, Tom, one one thing that we haven't talked about before um, is the potential of the federal liberals um, increasing cap gains or potentially doing away with the capital gain exemption. Um, there seems to be a lot of rumors mm. out there about that. Just curious on your thoughts on that and, and how you think it might play out. Well, look at the uh, additional school tax that the BC uh, NDP put in. You know, they said, well, we're going to go after a small group, right? And they chose a small enough group, homes over three million, that politically, even the B.C. liberals, who you think of as that that clientele, they wouldn't go there in this campaign and say, let's get rid of that tax because most people benefit, but the people at the top lose. So if you think about crafting a capital gains tax on owner housing, which economically, you know, is almost certainly the right thing to do, I mean, why would you tax you know, your capital gains on stocks and, and not on, on a home. I don't think there's really much of an economic reason for that. But what they would probably do is mimic the U.S. where you get an exemption. So in the U.S., I think for a couple, the last I checked, it was a half million dollars uh, of gains. You don't pay capital gains tax, but you pay on the gain above that. So that would hurt longtime owners in Vancouver, but, you know, maybe and, and, and some in Ontario, but for, for most Canadians, a half million, maybe you bump it up to a million. You'd have a really small fraction of people owing the tax and you can go there politically. I don't think they'll say every dollar will matter. So then you ask, well, is that going to really hurt the condo or, or even single family market? And then at purchase, I don't think so, because I don't think a lot of people buy a house and say, oh, well, you know, I'm buying this place. And if I don't get a half million dollars in capital gains over my holding period, I'm going to be really bummed out, right? That's gravy, any money you make over a half million bucks holding the property. 
So I don't think that would be much of a disincentive. I think that would be the smart way to go, would be some exemption. The first 200, 300, whatever it is, you don't pay capital gains. But if you really hit it big, uh, then you owe capital gains on the excess. So I think that would be a smart thing to do. And you know, it's it probably just a question of where you put the threshold. Interesting. Well, maybe as a, as a final question, Tom, and we've taken up a lot of your time here, um, you know, one thing that strikes me is, uh, you know, the, the conversation's been, um, a lot of this conversation, I should say, is, has been about kind of uncertainty, uncertainty in the, in the U.S., uncertainty with rising uh, COVID cases and the spike uh, this fall. Um, and yet the real estate market's doing quite well overall here in, in Vancouver. Um, if you were, you know, if you had the the wherewithal to to get into the market right now, would you do it? Like, is this a moment where you'd say, "Hey, I'm going to sit on the sidelines," or or would you be um, would you be comfortable buying into this market? And then, of course, just the, your regular predictions on kind of the next six months to a year, and maybe maybe out three to five. Well, I, I benefit from having just spoken to a realtor. And the thing is, you know, I think he's right. But but his advice, you know, I, I don't want to name this person in case they're wrong. I don't want to name an ex post shame. But, you know, I heard a prediction that we're going to see a downturn, you know, that's going to get worse through December. Uh, the, the argument was basically that a lot of the strength in the summer was that we never had a spring market. And so a lot of the summer was the missing spring market. It does seem like, you know, local live in the space demand. So there might be a bit of exhaustion. You might have run out of buyers. You know, I've always thought the longer the COVID run, the worse it's going to be for the market. And it hasn't proven yet. But, you know, cases are up, you know, rates are so low, which is just you know, amazing. I mean, to buy a property at one five, one seven five, whatever it is, mortgage is, is an incredible opportunity. So I, I hate to say no, but you know, my instinct would be give it a give it a couple of months, see if we don't have a, some weakness in the winter. Um, you know, I don't know what the, I, I should know more what's happening at the micro level with mortgage uh, deferrals. You know, rent uh, landlords with with uh, especially who own rental property co- apartments. You know, I imagine they've been, you know, working stuff out with the bank, but, you know, you have enough months of vacancy, you're going to have to give up the property. You know, I imagine some lenders are not not very happy to, you know, do 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 refis and stuff. So, you know, and, and we don't know how many lenders I certainly, you know, <laughs> Alberta, I wouldn't be buying the property today. I'd give it some more time. But B.C., you know, I think the market's rich enough. I'd probably, I'd probably wait a couple of months see if we don't don't get into a downturn. If, if if I were looking for an investment property, I guess condo, you'd say the opportunity's there already. Um, you know, so it would be the the, the play would probably today, I, I guess, would be downtown condo and hope it's overcorrected. You know, maybe you go with Strathcona, right? The homelessness problem, really. You know, put some fuel on the fire. You know, try and go for you know, a, a problem that's going to be less bad in a couple of years than today. If you sort of combine a, a downtown place impacted by homelessness, that's what we were talking at the beginning of the show, you know, but my, my best conjecture would be, you know, the market's been pretty resilient. So I, I don't see a pressing reason to sort of do a sort of cyclical argument that things are bad now and they'll get better. But I will say, boy, these rates, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I'll, I'll tell the story that I probably tell every time. The first time I bought a, a house, uh, the, the realtor I was working with said, boy, if interest rates go below 7% on a 30-year fixed rate, 
that'll really juice the market because people will be so excited by the low rate. And uh, here, you know, it's a different product, but 1.75, I mean, you don't need a lot of rent <laughs> to justify buying at 1.75 mortgage rates. The question is just how long that's going to last. All right. Well, maybe we'll leave it there, Tom. Thanks uh, again for your time, as always. Uh, fascinating conversation. A lot, lot to think about there. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much for the time. Hopefully it don't sound like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. I've been in my house in a long time in a row, so <laughs> hopefully you know, it's not just paranoid craziness, but uh, we live in interesting times. <laughs> That's great. Okay. Thanks so much, Tom. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Professor Tom Davidoff out at UBC, the director of the UBC Center for Urban Economics and Real Estate. Really enjoyed that conversation with Tom. It's always great having him on the program. And I mean, if you didn't take away something from that episode, I don't think you were listening. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and if you want to hear more Tom uh, thoughts on the real estate market, go back to but that was like in the first five episodes of all time where he, he talked about Robinson Crusoe. Uh, Robinson Crusoe. That was yeah. uh, that sticks with me. That was a great analogy for the Vancouver real estate market and one that seems to not really work anymore. Our talks with Tom, kind of the way that the way that we've had him on the program, call it every six months or so since we began five years ago. But those episodes just alone it tells such a story about the market over the last five years. Like yeah. if you if you wanted to learn the Vancouver real estate market in the last five years, you could really just listen to those episodes. Yeah, just show go, you the... Yeah, through the Tom Davidoff episode. It's like a summary of the market for every six months or so. Yeah. It's actually fascinating. It is. Go back and listen to those uh, if you have the time. Uh, sure. They are for free on uh, iTunes and elsewhere. Uh, a few other things, Adam. One is just an idea here for Tom. How good would it be on Tuesday night the U.S. election, if Tom did like a live stream of himself just watching the election and commenting, I feel like I would watch that over CNN uh, or any other coverage of the U.S. election. I'm just putting that out there. That would be an amazing thing to watch. So this is that idea because there's, it's like a companion piece, right? Like it's almost like your, like Tom would just be commenting to whoever is in the room, but we'd be recording his thoughts on the election as you're actually watching the election in real time, it, it would be it, that would be unbelievable. I think we should try and set this up with Tom. That would be uh, maybe, maybe he's up for it. I, that could be good. We'll get back to you on that. The other thing, quickly before we go, is somebody left the Vancouverism bookmaker on again. Yes, <laughs> this yeah. is this is a throwback to what is that? A year ago? Probably a year ago. We have now probably about 15 copies of Larry Beasley's Vancouverism. These are signed copies of this book. It's like, it's a beautiful coffee book. It's about the history. It's a coffee table book, yeah. Yeah, just a coffee book, but not a coffee. <laughs> um, it's a beautiful book that uh, basically charts the history of our city. Beautiful photos. It's, it's, a, it's a great book to have. Everyone that has it loves it. And uh, it has a personal message from Larry Beasley in the uh, in the title page, right? That, yeah, Close that's to- exactly it. So we we thought we were out of these books. Right. We have now uh, we have located, located fifteen more a, books, a few more books. So here's what we're gonna do. Before we were doing Google reviews. Now, Adam, I don't know if you have it in front of you. How many Google reviews do we have at the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast currently? So currently, Matt, I'm just gonna go to my phone to my favorites tab. We have 
Uh, I thought you checked these daily. No, but I, I don't, but I, I will start now. Um, we have, uh, let's see here, we have 118 five-star reviews on Google. Okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut it at 118. Anybody who does a Google review after 118 is entered into this weekly draw. We're going to get rid of these books, and we're going to get rid I'm of them gonna, fast. I'm going to do, do something better. The next 15 reviews on iTunes or Google and get a book. Hold on, hold on, because it's 118, so let's just mark this. 118 on Google. I think it's 285 on iTunes. Well, is it 285? We need to verify these numbers, Matt. So 118 on Google and uh, on – Give me a second here. 285. Okay, on, so 285 So anybody reviews. over and above 118 or 285, send rev- us – write the review. Send us an email saying that you reviewed. We'll get you a copy of Vancouverism signed by Larry Beasley. And uh, this yeah. is This is a very valuable – this is a very valuable These are great commodity. books. I yeah. can't believe we still have copies of them. I uh, yeah, it's, that was it's, our, that was our bad. That was no. our bad. So okay, we'll watch for those reviews. We'll get those books going. Last but not least, VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Head over there for all things real estate related. We have the back catalog. We have tons of useful resources. Things like the Live Wire. That's our weekly newsletter. You're getting stats before anyone else. You're also getting uh, sub markets and price band stats that are very useful for understanding the Metro Vancouver real estate market. We also have things like private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free at your fingertips. All you have to do is go to VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com, sign up for PCS. You'll have the access to the best research tool for searching real estate in Vancouver that's on the market. And you know what? If you sign up, there's a good chance you'll be talking with Ava Benesaki. This is our team member. Yeah. We've uh, talked about Ava before. We've talked about Ava before. 10 years in the business, newer to our business, but wow, what a... Really nice to speak to on the phone for sure. And yeah. She'll help you set, she'll set you up with an account. She'll and if you don't hear out. from Ava, you'll hear from one of us. But the, the reality is you're going to hear from someone, we'll set you up with PCS and uh, away you go. That's right. If you're not using PCS to search Vancouver real estate, you're doing it wrong. If you want to talk about that, about Vancouverism and Larry Beasley's messages or anything else, 778-847-2854 or matt at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or adam at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. We also got that secret line, info at vancouverrealestatepodcast.com. Well, have a great Halloween, everybody. Stay spooky. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. 
Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020.